We're going to go into the word today. Uh, last week, we talked about how we are now in a season of building. We went through a long season uh, of, of seeing God bringing about his healing touch in our community. And we've done our part uh, to really make ourselves available for God to touch us and move in us and you know, surface different things that needed to surface and for us to really experience God's healing touch in our lives. And now, um, as we are kind of switching gears now into a season of building, we are asking God the question, what would it look like for you to build this house? What would it look like for you to build this community? And that is our prayer as we're going into, uh, this sermon series. Uh, this is just some, uh, kind of review from last week. Uh, we talked about how when we embark on this endeavor of building, the enemy won't just sit back and like applaud our efforts. The enemy won't do that. He won't just sit back and watch us, but he actively works against us. We look through Nehemiah 4, and this is what, uh, how these attacks were worded. What are those feeble Jews doing? Well, they restore the wall. Well, they offer sacrifice. So you have to read it in a very sarcastic tone, and it's like almost like, do they actually think... They're going to finish in a day. Do they actually think they can bring these stones back to life? And all of what this is saying is basically you are too weak to succeed. You won't succeed. You can't really worship God. You can't complete the work. And lastly, to sow in, you know, hopelessness and defeat. You can't do anything about it. The damage at this point. Too far gone. It's permanent. Nothing. You can do none of your efforts are going to help at this point. And this is what Nehemiah says very clearly to every person that is hearing these taunts from the enemy. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And how we kind of condense that perhaps into three different things that we ought to remember is number one. Don't give room for fear. Don't give it the time of day. Don't allow that to begin to encroach on your thoughts. Don't allow that to cripple your heart. Don't give room for fear. Second is remember the Lord. It is he who is great. It is he who is awesome. And it is he who is working on your behalf. So it's not ultimately your strength and your strategy or your game plan that is going to save the day. It's actually looking upon the God who's almighty. The God who's able to do more than you could actually do. And third is fight for your families. There's a charge and there's an invitation, a challenge that comes with it. If you truly believe uh, that God is a God who's great and awesome and he's going to move on your behalf, it's not just going to take like fatalism for you to just sit back and just watch things happen, but he's going to call you to take part in the rebuilding process. And he's going to call you to fight for, to labor for your families. And Nehemiah 4, it actually pictures it this way. This is what they did in response to these attacks. They actually set up families to stand guard all around the city as they were building. It wasn't just a lone ranger trying to fend off these enemies. It was actually in groups. It was families that were stationed all around the city in order to not just build, but also guard. And this is how they, they um, phrase it. They said they work with one hand and they held weapons in the other. That is the stance of what it, what it looks like for a community to build. It's not just, I'm just going to do my thing and I'm just going to hope it leads somewhere. But there needs to be a side of it where you are on guard where you know that the enemy is going to attack, where you are ready to fend off the attacks of the enemy. So you care and you protect. 
You sow in time, in finances, in heart, in effort, and you also pray. So if you look around you and you see this entire community, we're not here just because like, we, weren't, we weren't still here just by accident. The reason why we're here is because, number one, God really has moved on behalf of this community. And second is there were men and women of God who fought for this community all along, especially in this last year when the temptation was to get discouraged. The temptation was, man, like, I don't know, whatever I do, I feel like the damage is too far gone. I just don't know if anything I do is going to count towards anything. It was in those moments of temptation that we saw men and women from this very community rise up to the challenge, sow in, encourage one another, build this community. That's why we're here today. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't just, you know, by chance. It was really men and women of God hearing God's call, hearing God's challenge to build up this community. And we're so grateful for that. We couldn't have this today if it wasn't for these men and women of God. And lastly, we also talked about how Nehemiah, it's not this isolated kind of event, but Nehemiah is actually embedded in this two-book chronicle of rebuilding Jerusalem. So it starts actually in the book of Ezra. They talk about the rebuilding of the temple, so the meeting place with God. Second is restoring of the Torah, so the word of God at the center, and then also the community as well. And then by the time we get to Nehemiah, we're seeing the rebuilding of the city walls. What is going to protect this meeting place with God? What is going to protect this community that meets with God? And last, uh, last, no, no, not lastly, second to last, we see a spiritual renewal, kind of this charge. Come on, we got to we got to believe in God once again. we got to turn to God once again. And we see that in Nehemiah chapters 8 through 12. Lastly, this is kind of the letdown, right? At the very end, we see that all these different efforts, they are actually very limited in their success. They're very limited in their results. And the reason for that is no amount of effort from our hands is actually going to be able to change what's inside of our hearts. What is really necessary is a transformation inside. And only the Holy Spirit, only God can do that. And so if anything, Ezra and Nehemiah, they tell us this kind of the story about um, Israelites who come back into that promised land after a long season uh, of being uh, exiled from it. And as they're building the city once again, they do all these different things. But what they're able to do is very limited. And what they actually need is for God to touch them on the inside. They need God to touch their hearts. If you guys actually want a really good resource to to give you an overview of this, do you guys know of the Bible Project? Right? The Bible Project. There's a really good, I think it's like a 10-minute clip or so of, of this. So if you just, you know, type on YouTube, just look up the Bible Project Nehemiah, and then you'll see this pop up. It's a great introductory video to all this. So um, that's what we talked about last week, the attacks of the enemy that inevitably will come as we are embarking on this building season. And next week, I'm just going to give you a preview. Next week, what we're going to be talking about is, so what is my part in all this? Where do I play in, what part do I play within this season? But before we do, we actually do need to take a moment to examine the actual motivation behind it. So So if last week was talking about let's build, This week will be why build? Why? Why all the effort? Why all the trouble? Why why should we even do this? And then next week is more about how. So the reason why we need to talk about this is that we cannot 
assume, we cannot be presumptuous enough to assume that all building endeavors are pleasing to the Lord. In fact, the Bible actually speaks of a particular building project that greatly displeased him. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to together to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, whether it be in your Bible or your smartphone. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Genesis, the first book of the Bible. So we're 11 chapters into um, the creation of all things. And you think it would take longer for us to mess things up, but it really didn't take very long, right? All right, so chapter 11, it says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. This is actually present-day Iraq. This is where Babylonia used to be. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the whole face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they had begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. And that is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Amen. So there's so much for us to actually take from this passage. But I wanted us to zoom in, not on the details of like how many people, what languages they speak, all of that. I don't want us to zoom in on any of those things. I actually want us to zoom in on the motive behind the building. The motive behind the building. It wasn't because of creativity. It wasn't because of necessity, like if we don't have the city and if we don't have this tower, we're going to die. It wasn't even out of boredom. Genesis 11.4, it says it this way. This is their purpose statement behind this building project. And it is so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, if we look, look at this in the beginning... It sounds bad, yeah, but not that bad. Like, like ah, it could have been done better, but ah, you kind of missed the mark a little bit. But this is actually no different, just kind of reconfiguration, a rewording of the first temptation given by the serpent in Genesis 3.5. This is what the serpent says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. This notion of you could be like God. Like you could actually be like God, fully independent, fully self-sufficient, all powerful. Nothing is able to say no to you. You can have that kind of power. And it's the same temptation that we see from the serpent in Genesis 3, 5. And the next part is for them to not be scattered. This is directly in opposition to the mandate from Genesis 2, actually, to multiply, 
fill the earth, and subdue it. Now, before we take this way too over literally, it doesn't mean that city building in itself is inherently bad, right? And it doesn't mean that gathering and laying roots down and building is bad. It means that whether it be moving or staying, building or tearing down, if it is for the glory of your name, if it's in order to serve the God of your comfort and your American dream, actually, it's not just American, right? Any kind of dream, right? It's not just an American dream, but that's the phrase. If all it's doing is building something that will serve your needs, then you might be building against God's will. That's all it's saying. And God, perhaps in his mercy, might come down and scatter your efforts. God in his mercy. So in other words, when we build for man, number one, it is self-glorifying. It means the person that gets all the credit is man. The person that gets all the accolades is man. Second, it is self-serving. It is not for the needs of anybody else. It's not for the glory of God. It is to serve your very own needs. It is self-glorifying and self-serving at its nature. Now, this is the tricky part. You might have a building, like two buildings that look exactly the same, but with two different, very different motives. And one is going to please the Lord, and one will not please the Lord. It can look exactly the same, but the heart behind it, the motive behind it is what sets it apart as something that is built for man or something that is built for God. So I I want to actually challenge us today If it's your first time today, I'm really sorry. I'm going to ask us some very uncomfortable questions today, Lori. Because you would think that these things are like, of course. Like, of course, we're not going to do for our own glory. Like, come on. Like, what do you think I am? Like, I, I would never build for my own name. But I'm going to ask us some very uncomfortable questions today that might be helpful in diagnosing our heart motives. Because on the outside, it might look the same as the next person. On the outside, it might look the same as your neighbor or your coworker or whatever. But it's the inside that really will determine whether it's something that's built for God or it's built for man. So maybe the first question that I can ask is, is what you're building championing your name or God's? Your name or God's? Who's going to be getting the credit for whatever it is that you're building? Now, this can apply to church. This can apply to your career. This can apply to whatever it is that you are building, whatever it is that you are putting effort into. For a long time, I never doubted this, that of course I'm going to build something for God, like, right? Especially my ministry, right? I would never do things for my glory. Of course. Hey, don't look at me like that. My brother, man. My brother. It's like number one peanut gallery heckler. Okay. Um, so the, I remember there was this one pastor uh, who preached this a long, long time ago. It's like probably like 10 years ago that I heard this, but I remember being so struck by it. And he challenged an entire congregation, an entire auditorium filled with pastors. And this is what he said. Imagine God would guarantee that if you were to pray nonstop for 20 years, he would bring revival to your city. Would you do it? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, like, man, I'm going to mobilize all my people. We're going to get a, you know, a prayer movement going. We're going to set up all these meetings. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down. And then they ask this question. What if you prayed for 20 years and as a result of your prayers, God used your neighboring church to bring revival as an answer to your prayers? Would you still do it? 
All of a sudden, pastor's like, ah, I don't know about that. Ah, well, it depends, you know. And all of a sudden, you find yourself backpedaling. And that was one of those really good diagnostic questions of like, oh, yeah, I am in, I'm in it for the glory of God and for the revival of this nation. But, like, I just want to make sure that I get my due credit when the time comes, right? I want people to know that I was part of the, you know, sowing in labor for 20 years. Otherwise, like, like, you know, like, I'll do it, but I don't really know. You know what I mean? It's until you are challenged in this way where you realize, like, actually, I have a stake in it, and I want credit for it as well. And it kind of makes us like, ah, I'll, I'll build, but I won't put my whole heart into it. Like, maybe I'll, I'll lend a few resources. Maybe I'll do a little bit to help it along. But if I'm not going to get credit for it, if I'm not going to be part of the, the champions that are here at the end of this, like, oh, everybody look at this particular pastor. They brought revival to this nation. If I'm not getting that kind of credit, then I don't really know how much I'm for it, right? It doesn't really change the fact that, you know, revival hit the city. It doesn't really change that souls got, you know, saved into the kingdom. But the fact that you wouldn't get credit for it kind of like makes you second guess things. That's when you realize that you're championing God's name in conjunction with yours. So you're slipping your name in there. You're hoping people won't notice, but your name is in there for sure. So let me, this is a distinction that I feel like it's, it's necessary to make. And this is because, partly because of our past history, where there was a sense in which, man, if you're not for this church, then you're not for the kingdom of God. And that line was blurred for a long time. So I, I feel the necessity to be very explicit about this. New Philly is not the kingdom of God. Like, like the borders of the kingdom of heaven don't stop right here at these four walls. God is definitely going to use New Philly. I have no doubt about that. But God is going to work beyond New Philly as well for his own kingdom. God is going to call people out from here also to build his kingdom elsewhere. God is going to use this ministry to partner with other ministries that are also building up the kingdom of God. So we need to be very, very clear about that so that this doesn't become our own little empire. It would be such a loss and it would be such, you know, a tragic result if we were to embark on years of building. And man, we're doing all these amazing things for the kingdom. And yet it becomes its own little self-contained universe of saved people. And it's not really affecting anybody. It's not really hitting your workplaces. It's not really affecting the city. And it just becomes its own little bubble of saved people that gather here every Sunday to sing songs and hold hands. Like that, that would be such a tragic thing. That would be such a waste of something so powerful that God can do through a ministry. So we are not the only church anointed to do the work of God. We're not the same, you know, as the kingdom of God. We're part of the kingdom of God. And I sure hope that we're building towards it as well. But this is not the full, exclusive kingdom of God. I think the more we pursue the kingdom of God, the less we should care about our name. The less we should care about, like, is New Philly's name attached to this? Like, do they know that this amazing, you know, prayer meeting, that that New Philly was a part of it? You know, like, do they know that we're... We need to get this credit. And the more we are after the kingdom of God, the less we should care about the fact whether or not we're getting credit for it. 
Maybe second question that I want to ask us, you know, and this applies both for church building and also for career building as well. And it is, is how you're building honoring God's word? Is how you're building honoring God's word? Because we often fall into compromise when it comes to, man, like, I know I'm called to this particular, you know, area or arena or like, would it be, you know, finances or education or media and entertainment, whatever it is that you feel like you're called to. And you start out with this idea of like, man, I'm going to take it over for the kingdom of God. I'm going to be the top dog for the kingdom of God. And you start out that way. And then along the way, you begin to compromise. Like, I'm never going to reach the top if I actually abide by God's word. Like, I'm going to have to bend things here and there. I'm going to have to do this. And we believe, I'm sure God understands because it's for his glory. You know, and we make these small compromises and we believe that the end justifies a mean when God's word doesn't say it works that way. God says, more importantly, that whether you get to the end is how you're actually doing it. Are you honoring my word? Are you honoring my spirit? Is how you're building honoring God. And perhaps last question that I want to ask us today is, is what you're building increasing or decreasing your dependency on God? Is the end goal of building this thing is to be self-sufficient? Like, oh, I've accumulated so much and I have so much influence and I have so many resources that, you know, whether God comes through or not, it's okay. Like, I depend on him less than I did at the very beginning. Whereas when you're building something for God and with God, it should be increasing your dependency on him. From beginning to end, you need to walk with God. It will be increasing your dependency on God. So by extension, if this is what building for man looks like, then building for God looks like it's God glorifying and God serving. God glorifying and God serving. Now it sounds, in some ways it sounds like a very difficult task, right? To keep our hearts in this place. But here's a comfort that we actually find in the Bible. And this is something that we hold on to when we feel tempted to compromise. It is we were made for this. This was our original design. Before the fall, before sin crept in, we were made for this. We're made to be God glorifying. We're made to be God serving. We were made for God. By nature, we're designed to auto-destruct when we live to exalt our own name. By nature, the insatiable craving for recognition will never be satiated through our man-made endeavors. There's a tyranny of our ambitions and our never-ending quest for significance outside of God, if you follow that long enough, you will inevitably, inevitably, in the world, inevitably uh, go down a downward spiral of emptiness, isolation, and hopelessness. And the reason for that is that we were made to worship and exalt and live for something bigger. That is the way that God designed us. The Bible says that there's only one name, only one name that can withstand the test of time, only one name that can carry the weight of glory, where all other names crumble under the demands of perfection and of worship. There's only one name that can withstand all of that. This name 
would transcend all languages, all geographic and ethnic barriers, and this kingdom would supersede all earthly kingdoms. You guys remember this picture, this lovely picture? Jesus, our cornerstone, is the only one that can take on the weight of this building. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. See, the Bible, it tells us of another time when God came down to earth. And not to come against a building project, but actually to start one of his own. It's called a promised land, spoken as a garden with God and man would dwell together. In Exodus, it's called a promised land where man will worship God. In Isaiah, it talks about a city whose walls are called salvation and whose gates are called praise. In Ezekiel, it's called an army rising out of the valley of dry bones. In Matthew, it's a church built in a rock where the gates of hell will not prevail against her. In Hebrews, it's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In 1 Peter 2, it's a spiritual house, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then we see in the book of Revelation, it's pictured as a new heavens and a new earth, a city that doesn't need the sun nor moon, for the Lord's glory gives it light. There will be no more tears and no more pain, for the old will have passed and the new will have come. This is what God is after. This is what he came down to build. It would be a new kingdom, a new people, and instead of being scattered because they exalted their own name, they would be gathered under one banner to exalt the one name that is above every name. And this didn't come free for him. This didn't just happen casually. In order to embark on this building project and to secure it, he sent his very own son, Jesus Christ, who, according to Philippians 2, was in very nature God, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. And he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then Philippians continues on to say, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is what he came to build. This is what God is after. And I'm hoping that this is what we're after as well as a church. I'm really blessed to know that our church right now, we're going through a stage of, okay, now we are rallying people together. And now's the time for us to begin to build. And it's going to take risk. And it's going to take faith. And it's going to take overcoming a lot of different obstacles and perhaps a lot of heart resistance. I, we all understand that. I think all of us are, are you know, in different parts of this journey. But I'm praying that we're all directed at this, at this thing, though. We're all after a building that is only set on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. That it's not the name of anybody else. It's not the glory of anybody else. But it's Jesus Christ as a cornerstone and as the foundation of everything that we do. So I'm actually going to have the praise team come back up. And I'm going to end with this. See, the Apostle Peter, in his letter to the churches, he writes about restoration. And if anybody knows about restoration, it's the Apostle Peter, right? This is the same guy who, having fallen from a place of pride, was restored by Christ himself. And I, I really want you to 
to imagine this, this is the same person who said to Jesus' face, even if all of these guys betray you, I'm going to stand my ground. I'm not going anywhere. All these guys, they can leave you, but I'm going to stay right where I am. I'm never going to deny you. I'm going to be with you till the end. Only hours before he denied Jesus three times. Only hours before that. This is that same guy. It was him, the same person that later Jesus in his own resurrected body came to the shore of the Sea of Galilee to ask him to feed his sheep and to recommission him to the work of ministry. Once his pride in his own ability to hold fast to Jesus was broken. Once his own self-sufficiency and his own zeal was broken. And this Peter, ironically, was actually writing this from the city of Babylon. This is what he writes in 1 Peter 5. He writes, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is very important for him to keep in mind as he's building the church. It's, It's an impossible task. There's persecution everywhere. There's people scattering everywhere. They don't really know if this thing is going to last. And he's going to have to hold on to that. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He continues on to say, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And in case these verses don't ring a bell just yet, here's the, you know, what we used to call the year verse we had printed on our stage banners back in 2018 in the year of restoration. He says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. He'll make you strong, firm, and steadfast. In the midst of attacks, in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of the temptation to give up, he's going to make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And it ends with this. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. To God alone, to the Lamb alone. So if at the end of our lives we're able to look back through all the things that we journey through as believers, and I'm sure that there's a lot more coming. You know, we're just getting started, right? There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be moments of disillusionment, moments of loneliness. There's going to be moments of victory, moments of thanksgiving, seasons of tearing down, seasons of building up. Seasons where you thank God for the abundance and there's seasons where you thank him for his sufficiency. In the midst of all that, you can still look to him and say all of it was worthwhile because all of it was for your glory. Through all of it, to God be the power forever and ever. And this is my challenge to our community. Because we're not 
finished with our building. We're just getting started. This is my challenge to our community. Can we worship him selflessly? Can we worship him of the process? Selflessly in the unfinished process. In the midst of the process. Before we get any guarantees. Before we see any fruit or any results. In the midst of that, can we still worship him with all we have? Can we give thanks to him before the, resurrect, uh, the, the resolution or the result is complete? And can we ask that God would exalt the name of his son through all this? That's really our prayer, right? More so than having an end result, more so than having a church. Even more than that, what I more desperately long for is to see the name of Jesus being exalted. I long to see a witness and a testimony of people who clung to his name, who didn't wait till the end to rejoice, who rejoiced through it, who are able to embrace pain. They're able to embrace discomfort and uncertainty. But in the midst of it, they still choose to worship God. They still choose to say that he's worthy. They still choose to say, in the midst of all of this, I still choose to worship you. When everything else in my life dictates otherwise. When everything else in my life might not be pointing in that direction. Will I still choose to worship him? This is my challenge to all of us. This is not just for the staff, not just for the elders, not just for the leaders. This is for all of us. Can we worship God? Can we exalt the name of Jesus through the entirety of the process?